Hello, and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell. I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field, so please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Um, welcome to the Youth Ambassadors Program's podcast series. Um, we're very happy to have you today um, speaking with us about your experiences in national security. Um, so first, can you please um, introduce yourself, your name, your major, and your minor? My name is Isaida Gugion-Hukas. I am a journalism major and an international relations minor. Uh, why did you decide to pursue this study? I decided to become a journalist, honestly, because when I was younger, um, my dad and all of his friends would start talking about politics, and they would like kick all the wives out of the room, and then I would just kind of stick around and just sit on my dad's lap. And I asked him one day, um, why, like, why isn't mom here? <laughs> and he was like, because women don't talk about politics. And I remember saying I was five years old, and I was like, but I like politics. Mm -hmm. And then it just became a thing where I definitely wanted to go into the realm of politics, but didn't want to be a politician. And I figured that the best way to do that was probably being a journalist. Cool. Um, where is, what is your background? Can you give us a little bit more about where you're from? Um, I am from the Dominican Republic and Colombia. I was actually born in the States. But two weeks after being born, moved to the Dominican, well, went back, I guess, to the Dominican Republic. My dad's from there. Uh, lived there until I was 12, and then moved to Colombia uh, with my mom. And now I just kind of travel back and forth between the two. Okay. Um, why did you decide to come to Ithaca College? The journalism program is something that caught my attention a lot. I knew very little about the politics program, but it just kind of happened to be a very good mix, um, just because the politics program here and both the journalism department kind of let you flow into your own interests without being confided through a curriculum. Like, yes, we have general requirements, but we can very much kind of pick and choose where we want to go, and it gives you the opportunity to flourish in whatever you pick and choose. Okay. Um, and what kind of work do you do here on campus? So for the past uh, four years, I've been heavily involved with our student newspaper, The Ithacan. I have a column called In Other News, where I talk about international um, relations and things happening elsewhere in the United States that aren't necessarily covered by mainstream media in the US. I have also been very active with International Club, which is a, well, it's a club uh, that kind of houses international students that come to the US and is a place where you can talk about issues happening elsewhere, issues with moving to the United States, and how do you kind of compete with that idea of like, this is also your home now and just sharing our cultures with everyone um, on campus. The other thing that I was involved with within that role of International Club was I was International Student Senator for a year in our student government and with that um, represented the international community I guess in a very crucial year which was the year um, Trump got elected and with that worked a lot um, to give students housing when the travel ban was instated and just kind of like host like workshops and hours where uh, Im like children of immigrants and as well students who were here on visas could kind of talk about and vent about their issues considering that the administration wasn't really kind to them and it still isn't. Mm -hmm. And what kind of work have you done also um, off campus? So off campus I work for the local Ithaca newspaper covering immigration. Um, what, what's been my beat is just basically like focusing on the fact that there is a huge undocumented population in Ithaca and how we need to protect them because they're so crucial to the fabrication of even this county, both culturally and economically, and kind of putting an emphasis on that because a lot of people didn't realize how much of a 
issue. This was within um, Tompkins County until last year. Uh, and just kind of like shedding a light on that and definitely working with these um, migrants, not only in the sense of through the stories that I tell about their lives, but also making sure that they know where their resources are and how also guiding people from Ithaca who want to help them where to find those resources. Mm. What is your favorite aspect about the work that you do? Honestly, I think my favorite aspect is the ability to connect so many people together and finding the commonalities and helping people find the commonalities that we have with each other. I feel that when I came to the States, there was such an emphasis on difference and there was such an emphasis on the other from both the end of like international students and um, Americans who were in the school and kind of through the work that I do both in the community, journalism, Senate, in each faction, I've just found a way to bridge those gaps. And it's kind of nice to see people like literally become cohesive and come together in a way that's kind of beneficial for everyone. Hmm. Um, and so in your work, um, what do you think are the most pertinent issues for young women of color that are interested in journalism or foreign policy or issues of national security? So I think the main issue is that we're kind of always told that this isn't a, a place for us um, in the sense that I remember when I started writing, uh, one of the editors at the Epic, and I took a break after that, uh, said that sometimes I was too loud and dramatic within my own writing. And that's always been like a connotation that women of color have, that we're like loud and dramatic and like just kind of talking for no reason. And I think breaking away from that is hard because we're told that our anger um, is anger, but it's not anger, it's passion for the work that we need to do. And I think that a challenge is honing in that passion to be able to just kind of funnel everything else out and be able to go into a work that I think that because of our backgrounds and because we've seen so many different things from angles, both like race and gender, we can bring out aspects of stories and policy issues that most people wouldn't see just because they're not affected by them. Mm. Um, so what is your role model or your model for success? And do you have any role models in your life? So my model for success has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. um, I think my model for success more now is just doing work that brings me happiness and in that happiness can also help others. Um, I remember putting a lot of emphasis in like helping others and trying to make everybody else happy within my work and that just, it was a disaster. And I think that now my model for success is like being confident in that what I am doing will be good for both myself and the people around me. Uh, a role model specifically, it's kind of like a compilation of people. Um, it ranges from journalists back home who they, there's a specific man who was actually the person who got me into journalism. He is, he was revolutionary in news in Colombia in the sense that he would just go where no one else went. And he was one of the first people who told me that I could be a journalist as a woman. Um, he was actually the one that recommended to go to the States because Colombia wasn't really as, that didn't have that space yet. And for me to come back and make that space was important. So he's definitely a role model for me. And I guess my other role model is actually my mom, which I know sounds a little cliche, but she, just her resilience um, with everything. She moved from Colombia in the midst of a lot of violence to the United States, not knowing a word of English. Learned English here when she was 16, um, went to school here, graduated from here, then moved to the Dominican Republic, a country that she didn't know and tried to fit in there, realized that she didn't, and then came back to Colombia like 
just came back to her roots and I think that that's a something that she always emphasizes to me just always coming back to your roots and always coming back to like that idea of like where you came from and how because of where we came from we can help so many other people hmm. um, what would you advise for someone that's young uh, coming into college young woman of color that's interested in these issues what's a word of advice you would give her if you could give yourself some advice as your first year um, I think if I could give myself advice as a first year, I would just dive in head first. Uh, don't waddle, don't hesitate, don't feel that just because you are a woman of color and these spaces weren't necessarily created for us that we can't be in them. And I feel that by diving head first, we shatter all of that from the start. And then there's no, I guess there's no, there's no walls at that point anymore. There is a tension, but also being comfortable with that tension and sitting in it and exploring it through your work and using that tension for your benefit instead of just kind of like shriveling in it. Mm. Um, and in your view, what is it about your work on global issues that is unique? So what I think is unique about it is the fact that I come from a lot of different places and in the sense that I'm a U.S. citizen, but I also, but I was never raised here. So it was always kind of like that outsider perspective of the U.S. While being in the U.S., it's kind of, it turns into the reverse. Like you get the outside of perspective of like what happens in other countries. So I've both been the effects of like, for example, foreign policy issues in the U.S., but have always, but have now become heavily involved in them because of the fact that I'm here. So what I think what makes my work unique is that I can take both of those and compile them into having a better understanding of how policies or news can have a greater effect just because I've seen both sides of it. Hmm. And I know you're involved in journalism, media, so in your perspective, you know, how does media play in advancing the narrative um, of women in color in peace and security? So media has always, I mean, if we really think about it, media is kind of like what pushes perspectives and narratives on most things, mm -hmm. um, be it uh, TV or journalism itself. And I think that once we, once as journalists and in the media, there is more space for women of color and our voices, that'll change that narrative that women of color are just kind of like always in the background. Um, that's very true now. And I know that in a lot of ways, it's starting to make a shift to allow all of our voices to just, I guess, coexist with everything that's just been the, um, the like set narrative for so long, and in doing that, changing this perception and these stereotypes that exist about like women of color like throughout the world. Hmm. Um, how does the integration of members of minority communities into foreign policy institutions lead to an overall strengthening of foreign policy, in your opinion? So. I had the pleasure of being in a workshop with Taranya Burke while I was working at the United Nations. And she said something that stuck with me a lot in the sense that if you create policies and you create narratives that help minorities and bring them in, then you're probably creating a policy and a story that's going to be beneficial for everyone. Because if you address the biggest issues, which are usually those that come with the, minor, like the marginalization of minorities, then you could probably create a more cohesive idea of what could help the most amount of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that by allowing minority voices into these spaces, it could 
it creates that. It creates this um, momentum to create policy that will literally rein everyone in and be beneficial for more people. Um, what challenges have you had working and collaborating in a diverse, multicultural, and inclusive setting? So in both, in both of the newspapers that I work for, um, my editors have always been white, and they have been predominantly white spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest challenge in that is just kind of um, pitching my ideas and making sure that they they sound, I guess, acceptable to the people around me. Uh, once I started realizing that I just didn't want them to sound everything acceptable and that I had to deal with the fact that they were going to be uncomfortable with half of the things that I was saying, mm -hmm. um, it became a lot easier. But I think the challenge with all of that was just kind of like trying to get trying to get white men to see my point of view as to why a story was important. Um, because they wouldn't see it, they obviously wouldn't see it in the same way because these issues might have never affected them. Um, another challenge has definitely been just kind of being more secure about my voice. I only got to the U.S. three years ago, and yes, I know a lot about the United States, U.S. politics, I went to an American school, so like that background was there, but I guess being sure of what I was saying and sure that like the things that we're offering were constructive and were good for both newspapers and I guess having that um, self-awareness and self-confidence came with time. And I think that that's something that most women of color have to deal with just because we've been silenced for so long and we've been told that our ideas are irrelevant, that just kind of definitely breaking through that in all of those spheres was a challenge. But once I started seeing that, maybe not my editors, but the people around me were like, oh, she's right, like she's saying something important. They wouldn't figure out why it was important, but they, it would resonate with them. That's where I started getting the confidence to start, um, I guess, just being louder about mm. my opinions. Okay, and how do you encourage people to honor the uniqueness of um, each different identities and all that? And how do you challenge stereotypes and promote sensitivity and inclusion on campus? So I think kind of depends on the people that I'm talking to, but I think the way that I always challenge stereotypes is kind of depending on, I'm gonna start that again. Can you ask me the question one more time? Okay, yeah. Um, so how do you encourage people to honor the uniqueness of other individuals? How do you challenge stereotypes and promote sensitivity on, and inclusion on campus? So to the first part of that question, um, uniqueness I think comes deeply from respect and kind of like, I guess everyone tries to drill the idea that we need to treat everyone the same and that equality and like all of these different things, which definitely important, all for equality. But we sometimes forget that we're all different and that we come from different backgrounds and that we have to have those differences very present when communicating with the other. And I feel that having those differences present actually create respect more so than trying to understand everyone as the same um, because we're not and I think finding that joy and everyone's differences and like willingness to learn about them um, creates more effective spaces and creates more effective dialogue and that's also kind of the way that I push it um, on campus when I was in the international club sometimes a lot of the international students would say uh, that they wouldn't want American students at events. And I would always say that that's really counterproductive because the point is that we don't want to be closed in some, like yes, we have our safe spaces, but we also don't want to be completely closed to everything around us because we also need to understand that there is a context to everything. 
um, that being negative stereotypes that are perceived about international students and negative stereotypes that are perceived about Americans. It goes both ways. And understanding that there is a context of both things and understanding that we literally have different systems of thought is really important. And I think that that's been probably the main focus of my work, just mm-hmm. getting people to understand that we have different systems of thought, but that can, we, we can learn from them as long as we stop being stubborn about them, which is also mm-hmm. really, really hard. <laughs> Um, so on campus, do you think that um, you've been given adequate opportunities to display your skills in terms of organizations and also like the work you've been able to do? I feel like I've been given adequate space to definitely do the work that I want to do, but I also know that I've had to make my own space to do the work that I want to do, specifically with the school newspaper. Um, I know that if I would have decided to write for news, my I guess my passion for what I'm doing would be very different because although I am a news writer, I'm still in the opinion section, but that's because I actively decided to make a space of 400 words a week within that to address issues that I think are important. So yes, I've been given the opportunities to do so, but also within that, I've just kind of pushed a little more and asked for more um, to be able to do what I actually think is needed. And now I'm going to ask you to look back way further, before college, um, when you were in high school or middle school and you were interested, or you were thinking about what you wanted to do in your future, what would you give as an advice for someone that young? So what I would give an advice for someone that young is trust your gut. Um, I knew that I never really fit into my high school at all. Ideologically, just personality-wise, I was very different than the people around me and I couldn't peg why it just I was just thought I guess differently and it didn't hit me until junior year in high school where we had this civics professor teaching us the history of Latin America Um, but he would teach it in a way he basically taught us everything that was happening in the Cold War with the US and Latin America but he taught it really emphasizing US involvement and most of the people in the class would like discard him as like an extremist, which isn't true. Like he was actually just very historically accurate. We had just never been taught that. But everything that he said really resonated with me. And just kind of trusting my gut that like there was something wrong and that there was something that needed to be talked about and not feeling myself weighed down by either school curriculum or my parents or like the culture that was around me. Like if you own your gut feeling and you own that idea that there is something that you should be looking for, um, that's probably the direction that you need to go. Mm, Thank you. Um, So in your view, um, how can this organization, Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security, um, advance women of color's voices on critical issues of international peace, security, and conflict transformation? Um, I think that the way that it can definitely help the most is giving a platform. I feel that sometimes women of color feel like they don't have a platform where they have to push against everything to make a space in somebody else's um, platform, which is all well and valid. I think that's definitely something that needs to be done. But knowing that there is a designated space where you can actually come and express these ideas with either like-minded or not like-minded individuals, but at least have some common ground where you can dissect and literally evolve, um, I guess, those gut feelings that I was talking about before, and then give the confidence to women of color to go 
outside of that space as well to express those same ideas. And I guess just having that support is really important. Because, like, I think I've mentioned this a few times before, a lot of the times we're told that we can't say the things that we want to say or that there's no space for them. And I feel that if we have a group of people behind us saying, like, no, it's okay, like, you, you are saying something that's valid, you're saying something that's important, that creates a confidence that's needed to bring these ideas outside of our own sphere. Mm -hmm. And this is my last question. I know that you're graduating um, in the spring, and so I wanted to ask, you know, what are your plans post-graduation? What are you looking forward to? What kind of work are you hoping to do? So I'm looking for two main things right now. I'm applying to fellowships uh, to pursue more investigative journalism, but within that I'm also applying to grad school. Uh, I'm applying to Columbia University. They have a program on, it's, it's called Global Thought, and it's based on political theory and they have different designations for it. And the one that I specifically want to go into is um, kind of talking about um, Marx and Hegelian dialectics and how do you apply that to foreign policy and international relations um, and that theoretical framework in the sense of like, okay, like you have the framework, dive deeper into the framework, how does that devolve into foreign relations? Which I, for my work, I think is really important because as a journalist, I feel that I actually need to know what I'm talking about before I talk about it and the effects that it could have when talking about it. And I feel that having that fundamental background, well, diving deeper into it um, is important to pursue that work and make it more impactful. Okay, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure interviewing you, and I'm really excited to see what you're gonna do in the future. Um, I'm glad that you're also part of the Youth Ambassadors Program, and we look forward to seeing you in the future and talking to you more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining Women of Color, Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit wcaps.org. That's W-C-A-P-S dot org.